Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today we're talking a little U.S. men's national team and a lot MLS playoffs. To do so, I'm joined by two friends. Up first is a man whose team just won a championship. It's Joe Winners Medal Lowry. Joe, you still celebrating your shootout win, my friend? It just feels good, doesn't it? You know, I, I've had a lot of things to celebrate. We're moving mm-hmm. through the playoffs in, in every league, basically. We had the NWSL final, the USL championship final that Phoenix Rising won in dramatic fashion. We had the Joe Lowry versus David Goss first round of the playoffs extravaganza competition that I absolutely, and I want to underscore absolutely, mm-hmm. I want to bold it, I want to italicize it, I want to underline it. I dominated David Goss in round one, and I am ready to carry that energy into the conference semifinals. You could say, yeah, dominated, comprehensively destroyed, whatever you want to no, go I'm with. Good Joining with any us of those. is That's that fine. man. Uh, he lost the bracket challenge. He watched his Knicks and Jets lose this weekend. It's David oh. Goss. David, a wonderful time for you, my friend. I scored the best goal I've scored in Coed last night mm-hmm. when it matters most. So I control my own destiny. Uh huh. And Joe likes to watch other people do it. Gus, mm. how is it exactly that you keep the frog out of your throat right up until we start recording and then <laughs> it comes in? How do you do this? Again, I control my own destiny. <laughs> right. My mistake, right. of course. I'm able to time it out perfectly. I think, I think do- it's more of a ratatouille situation where you're not really in control and the frog yeah. just hops on in your throat and he's the one pulling the strings. That's what I think is happening, which also completely discredits your goal that you scored last night. That was the frog. Mm. That wasn't David Goss. And then I, by the way, after the goal, I played a cool. I was like, well, I got to finish one. You know, I'm like so bad in front of goal. But in my head, I was like, that goal was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I hate uh, how much I relate to that feeling. Yes, yeah. I, I actually do get that. Um, Dave, are you a I, Gotham fan, Joe? No, I just was running through cool things oh, that are happening in American soccer. And, you're, and your loss was one of those things that I was very, very excited about. But so I'm really from New York. Right yeah, you're not. A, you can't claim Gotham fandom. There's no chance. What? Why not? I don't know. Just doesn't okay. feel like something you should have. I don't want you to have success. Gotham is like one of the only soccer teams where I actually know people who work on it. And so I root for them. Uh, I know people. Cool. Big yeah. deal. There we go. So I'm David very Goss. excited for all those people. How many points did you get in, in the first round? I don't that? know because I didn't keep my score. You guys are making it sound horrendous. And I kind of thought I was like one game away. You so were can not. I get the score? <laughs> so it I, had, was... I don't know what Goss said. I had seven. Sporting Kansas City came through for me. To recap, so I only just very quickly. One? I, it was I don't, seven to three. Seven to three. So you were more than one game away. You were two games away. because we did the wild cards. Yeah. Yeah, So just to to quickly recap for people before Taylor dives in any (laughs) further. On the Patreon, we went and and did a draft where Taylor moderated and Goss and I took turns picking teams that we thought were going to advance. So if I chose FC Cincinnati 
Oh, that's a bad example. If I chose the Columbus crew, then Goss was stuck with Atlanta United, which is one of the things that happened. So you have to take the other team that wasn't picked by your opponent. And we went through and did the wildcard games and then the rest of round one. And then at the end of the day, you know, everybody plays soccer and then the Germans win, except in this case, it was Joe Lowry wins. So, so to be clear, through the first um, 10 rounds of the playoffs, there was one upset that Joe got and I picked two upsets and that's where I lost. Yeah, you lost is what yep. I'm hearing. I think I think we're all on the same page with that. That's, that's being what happened. We're just going to keep beating up on Goss because cool. uh, Goss, I heard y'all give Tommy Scoops some stick on the show yesterday for failing to populate your oh, episode's Taylor, you're, running you're order. You're about to tread into dangerous waters, Taylor. Uh, and justifiably so. When you don't update a running order, I mean, I, well, who knows what you're going to talk about. With that in mind, should we take a look at the TSS document for today? David. <laughs> David just looked at me with an expression of, wait, there was a document? Which no. is terrific. I, first of all, I wrote on the top of the document yesterday when joe sent it uh-huh. and second of all joe speak for me here who made the document last week goss made the document last week who this came uh-huh. out of the pen as a long man unexpected call What's and pitched long seven man? innings what is a long man <laughs> that was when you used to have relievers that would pitch from like the like second to eighth inning yeah. in games yeah. you were getting smoked goss you did I, I will completely back you up here you you pulled your weight and then some last week you and i were running the show the inmates were running the asylum Boom. you pulled you pulled through uh, this week, Taylor's right, a little bit less so. I thought we were going to have a conversation about showing up, uh, showing up late to recordings, which is uh, why I was telling Taylor maybe to tread lightly. Yeah, but we can, we can sort of sweep all that under the rug and, and we'll call it even. For our listeners to know, Taylor was the one who caused the lateness today. Yes. That's why he's saying That's, tread lightly. That is not yes. true. A full three minutes of lateness, not a full Tommy Scoops 45 minutes of lateness. I, I do feel like commute. Listen, I'm a well oiled machine. Yeah, Once go. I go one minute late, the whole day schedule gets thrown off. And now I keep pushing and pushing. And just to be clear, you're claiming adding, are we going to talk about the USMNT at all on this show yeah. into the running order as yeah. being your that significant was me. contribution? That was my contribution. Well, then let's do that, shall we? Let's talk about the USMNT for a second. They're going to be facing Trinidad and Tobago in the Nations League. Trinidad led by Coach Angus Eve. Uh, it's a lot of players from... Uh, lower leagues in the United States and then some domestic players for Trinidad and Tobago. We're not going to do a full preview, but we haven't fully talked about the roster or any updates there or things we're basically most excited to see, keep an eye on, pay attention to, whatever it may be. Goss, why don't you start? What are the things that you're looking for aside from a win in comprehensive fashion? I wasn't actually prepared to talk about this. I oh, put okay. it in. I apologize. I no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I think at, at this point with the way that with hosting the World Cup, any competitive game is an opportunity. And so you're going to go through the cycle, especially with the expanded World Cup of like, how do you handle a match like this? How do you handle teams like this? How do you play when you have to force the game versus part of what we saw against Germany, which was a team forcing the game on you? So I think there's a lot of different ideas in there. And then you look at a lot of the absences and that's where it's like who steps in and who carries things. Pulisic was great. In the last window, not there. Who's able to carry things for him? I think the other thing that's interesting to me and random aside is Serginho Dest has played left back a ton in the Dutch league. Is that a spot where now he becomes that player permanently for the U.S. and allows you to try options on the right side all the time when he's there? Or does he continue as the full-time right back if that's the if you feel like you have a safe left back option? So I think there's a couple individual players in there, but those are like the two main things is the mentality and style of how the team handles this moment without a Tyler Adams, without a Christian Pulisic, without a Timothy Weah, how Greg Burhalter is continuing that system of 
what we do against teams that we are the better team against that we should control play. And then I think specifically, I'm curious to see how Des lines up and sort of what his future looks like for the U.S. if he's playing there permanently with PSV. Do do you really think because he's playing there for PSV that Berhalter would sit Jedi Robinson to start Dest and see who else can go right back? Because I feel like it is sort of set for now, at least. And that might be true. I think one thing is Jedi can't play every game and there is no depth at left back. So it feels like Dest should be the first guy after that. And then I think there's some game model questions of like Robinson has a very specific thing he's capable of doing. Can you put Dest on the left side, have him be more of a playmaker with you? Does that change Pulisic's reality in a bad way or a good way, right? Robinson gives width. It allows Pulisic to come inside. But Dest also gives variety, which gives more options for Pulisic, whoever's playing on the left side. And then do you feel stronger about options at right back as time goes along, as Joe Scally continues to play? There are eight other options at right back that you're hoping can develop where it doesn't feel like that pool's as deep at left back. Uh, so that's a couple of things for Goss. Joe, anything in particular for you? The biggest thing I'm, I'm watching for is in this window without Pulisic and Wea and Goss, you mentioned some of the absences, who ends up in those slots? So Johnny Cardoso has to withdraw from this camp due to an ankle injury. That means I would be pretty surprised if we saw anything but Yunus Musa and, and at times Weston McKinney deeper in midfield. We expect to see Gio Reyna somewhere on the field. I have a lot of faith in what Gio Reyna and Florin Balogun can do against what will be a bad Trinidad and Tobago team, but it'll be an opportunity for them to show out. Those four players, I'm confident, will make up four of the six spots between the midfield and the attack, assuming the U.S. plays are the back four, right? So you got the back four, you have Musa McKenney somewhere in midfield, likely in deeper areas with Musa slightly deeper of those two. Then you have Gio Reyna kind of doing his freelance Gio Reyna thing and Balogun up top. But who's either the extra midfielder that allows Gio Reyna to be in one of the half spaces or who's the extra winger that allows Gio Reyna to go and, and fully drift and do his thing? Reyna's role won't really change whether he's nominally the third midfielder or the, the third attacker. But I want to know, is it going to be Brendan Aronson? And if it is, like, can he be impactful in the attack? Because he has not proven that at any point consistently in his career. And I asked Greg Berhalter about that in, in a press conference last week. And, and I think Berhalter recognizes that there are some things there that, that he would like to be improved. Is it Paxson Aronson? Is it Kevin Paredes? Is it Malik Tillman? Like, there are options here. And I wouldn't really be against seeing any of them. I'm just curious who has the best camp, who ends up starting, and how do they perform against a team that they will perform well against? But what are the other things that they're doing along the way? I'm curious about sort of the, the attacking depth chart in those more advanced areas. Um, to be clear, because his name was mentioned, I don't think Eunice Moose is one of those right backs that I would use. Correct. <laughs> I was just throwing that out there, but Valencia Milan would like you to try. They need to do. Valencia would like you to try, but they can't hurt Eunice anymore. So. <laughs> Uh, Joe, now that we know that you and Greg Berhalter are uh, best friends joined at the hip, uh, were there any other interesting moments from that press conference? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I missed it. You were in it. Joe says no. The only the only other thing that I, I felt like was was noteworthy, maybe there's a couple of tiny nuggets, but it was that Berhalter is in pretty much consistent contact with Luca Coliosho with Burnley. It feels like that is more and more of a possibility slash a likelihood. There's not a lot of urgency for Coleosho to, to go and make that move away from Italy's youth national teams. When he files that one-time switch, that'll be it. He'll be done um, he, and he can't go back. So this is something that you want to think through very, very clearly. But Baralta is very obviously chatting with Coleosho and it seems like there is a real relationship there. Uh, I'll ask you both because I saw the headlines and then I saw him, I believe, get called up. 
uh, not for the U.S. Did you make anything of the Tate Castellanos rumors, conversations about him potentially playing for the USMNT at some point? I had seen bits and pieces about that. I'd seen some sort of, it didn't seem like a terribly reputable report, but I, I don't know. Yep. The only thing is, uh, from what I'd, I'd read and, and from reading messages from a few different folks, it felt like maybe he was actually closer to being able to to count for that five years of consecutive eligibility in the United States than everybody thought. So maybe there was some truth to what was put out there, but it doesn't seem like his international future is with the United States. I hadn't even seen that. The so rumor? I got to go wrap my head around this and yeah, process right? it. It's it, it's a it's a strange one. It's an interesting one. We won't get answers to that one uh, in this game versus Trinidad. Uh, the thing I would like to see us get an answer to is can the U.S. basically see out a game from start to finish? And I do feel like they did that against Ghana. But at times in the past, we've seen them get out to leads or get on opponents early and then sort of ease off and not like sometimes maybe that comes back to bite them. A lot of times it just ends up with a one nil win where it feels like it could have been more and they didn't really get out of second year. I don't know if they will have that luxury against Trinidad, but if they do score in the opening 15 minutes, let's say I would love to see them keep up that intensity, keep on that energy, kind of pour it on, try to get another one, try to get another one. I want to see the United States be a dominant team and not feel like, Oh, eh, we're up one nil. We can kind of ease off a little bit and play the game that we want to play at the pace. We want to play. I want to see that intensity from start to finish uh, against an opponent who I think the United States should be able to get past. But as Goss said, it's an, it's an official competition. It matters. And in the lead up to the 2026, I want to see them win some games in comfortable fashion. So that is a thing I will definitely be keeping an eye on. Uh, Joe, to your Gio Reyna point for a moment, I think when last we spoke, you were felt confident that we would see him out wide. Is that where you would like to see him play? If you if you had the choice, where would you like to see him start this game? Yeah, so I want to be clear. Like like I said just a couple of minutes ago, I don't think there's a huge difference between Gio Reyna playing quote-unquote out wide and him playing as a number 10. He's going to hop in the half spaces. He's going to drift either way. So it's not like when Baralter maybe asks him to defend as a winger that in possession his feet are on the touchlines, right? So that's not how he's going to interpret that role. I still would lean towards seeing him as one of the nominal wingers if the U.S. is defending in something like a 4-3-3 and adding in Malik Tillman into that midfield group or adding somebody okay. into the midfield group. Because I think the drop-off between the next midfielder on the pecking order and the drop-off between the next winger on the pecking order, uh, I think the winger drop is bigger. And so having Reyna nominally take up one of those spots, I think allows you to get the best 11 you can on the field with this group of players. So you, I believe you, you just answered it there, but then to like add further clarity to it. So rephrasing the question a little bit. Where would you like to see Gio Reyna play such that it allows someone else to start? Is it him wide so Malik Tillman can start central? Is that the combo that you would be most comfortable with? I, that's the one I'd be most intrigued to see. Gio Reyna defending okay. as a, a probably a right winger, drifting or left winger, it doesn't matter, drifting into the half spaces in possession, having freedom to find the ball in possession. Really that role not changing a lot for him, but allowing someone like Malik Tillman to come off and excuse me, to come on and play a part in that actual central spaces. Goss, any preference there for where Gio Reyna starts or who starts with him? In this group, I'm similar to Joe in that I think you have other options to play as quote-unquote the 10, and you have less confidence in the winger group, so I would put Reyna as a winger in this one. I would probably start Brendan Aronson as the 10 in this squad, especially with the way it's going to be set up. I think I like the idea of being able to counterpress hard and create chances out of that. Um, and then he's a player who can interchange very comfortably with Arena and 
whoever else is in this group. Um, but I would be the same. And then what are y'all's plans for watching this game? I'm assuming it's just standard watch, watch by yourselves and don't communicate during the whole game. Not at all. Not talking before, not talking after, definitely not talking before or after in the Bleacher Report app. That is, that's what we're doing. So Goss and I are doing the, the pregame show and the postgame show for both of these Trinidad and Tobago games. We'll be live about an hour before kickoff, right after the lineups drop, and then live again right after the final whistle. And we'll talk about all the soccer stuff. All the soccer stuff. Indeed, we're going to talk about all, all the MLS soccer stuff here after a break. Goss, anything to say before we get to that break? Uh, no, I just I just hope we're able to continue on the rundown that I created and continue for the show to flow. <laughs> I'm glad that you waved into the camera for me to stop to get I didn't, that one in there. I said all the stuff. That was my hand signal. I was doing a Matt Miazga level hand signal following Joe's all the stuff. <sighs> we'll be back in just <laughs> a quick second. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We've talked USMNT. Let's talk round one of the MLS playoffs. We know that Joe Lowry won the bracket challenge in convincing fashion. I know we wanted to talk about that for another 15 minutes, but I worry gospel just tune out. So instead, uh, Joe, let's talk about Columbus's 4-2 win over Atlanta United. Uh, a good win for them. At some point, they will stop conceding goals. Yes, Columbus? Uh, I don't think so. This is kind okay. of the, the game you get with Columbus. I think they were around the, the 10th best defense in Major League Soccer based off of expected goal differential. You figure that a lot of those teams that are better than them are also here in the postseason. So they are not the strongest defensive team in the postseason, but they are the strongest attacking team, especially now that Atlanta United are gone. Columbus snuck four goals past Brad Guzan and Atlanta United on Sunday. It, it kind of goes to show what I always thought was probably going to be the case for Atlanta, that they couldn't make a deep run in the playoffs with Brad Guzan as their goalkeeper. 39 years old, had an Achilles issue very recently, long rehab process, was one of the absolute worst goalkeepers in Major League Soccer right now. And I'm not trying to take away from his legacy. I think Brad Guzan is one of the better American goalkeepers ever, but he's he's old at this point, right? He is not what he used to be. And I think that showed in this game. There's a couple of bangers that I don't really put any fault on Brad Guzan for. Darlington Nagby took his second shot of the year. That's all he gets. He just gets two. And right at the edge of that heat map where he transforms from the greatest player of all time into the worst player of all time in the final third, it was just inside and just in the sweet spot for him. The Amundsen goal is, is really, really good as well. That puts it, uh, that puts Columbus up 2-0. But you get towards the third goal from Matan. I have a few questions there. And really the fourth goal from Rossi. Guzan just completely goes the wrong way. And I think misreads that entire thing. Atlanta United are a bad defensive team to begin with. They're certainly not a good one. And they have one of the worst goalkeepers in all of MLS anchoring them in net. And I, I think you saw what happens when you put those two things together against the best attacking team in Major League Soccer. 
Do you have any concerns, Joe, about them being on the road uh, for that game against Orlando, given that when they went on the road against Atlanta, they did not look as comprehensively good. They didn't seem like they were as likely to try to play the game plan that they Mm. utilized at home to win this game. I I think there should be some concern, certainly amongst Columbus crew fans, maybe among the coaching staff. There is this thing that happens in Major League Soccer where teams like Columbus, even the most ball-dominant, ball-heavy teams in the league, go on the road and, and something changes, right? The atmosphere, I talked to Chris Brady not too long ago, and he specifically highlighted Orlando City's atmosphere as one of the most difficult ones to play in in all of Major League Soccer. It's a hard place to go. And if Columbus was playing this game at home, even as the lower seed with a slightly worse regular season record, if somehow Don Garber waved his magic wand and said, no, Columbus, you get this game at home, I think they would be clear favorites. I think they would be obvious favorites. And this game against Orlando at Exploria, I'm not so sure. I still think Columbus are the better team, but home field changes the game. It's going to take some of the the attacking verve out of Columbus. Nance was more conservative in his personnel choices going away to Atlanta. He played Amundsen as a wingback rather than as a center back, which is a clear sign for him that they're aware of some of the the problems that are becoming at them the other way. I think it gets a lot more difficult for Columbus going into an Orlando team that had success in round one. They did what they needed to do. They play ugly at times and they're going to play ugly in this game. The only other thing that I think is in Columbus's favor going in, and I mean, it's not like they're a bad team. I think they absolutely have a chance to win. But if we're looking for silver linings coming into an away game in a difficult place to play, It's the fact that over the course of the regular season and the two meetings between these teams, the games averaged five and a half goals. So it's likely that we're going to see some real attacking firepower, at least some, maybe not quite as much if the crew are playing at home. But I think that very much favors the Columbus team that likes to get into a firefight. Five and a half goals is not a small amount of goals to average. Seven and four. Seven and four. That has me feeling excited uh, for that matchup. Gus, uh, did you have any thoughts on Columbus's win over Atlanta? Are you feeling better, worse, or the same about their chances in the next round? I feel better because I think in a big moment, in a high-pressure moment where a lot of just reality, professional soccer teams, coaches, whatever, sort of step away from their fundamentals when the game – when. You know, their game model is to open it up a little bit more, to be heavy possession, to take risks. A lot of teams panic and close things down and don't do it. One of those examples is Orlando City, which is why you should be less excited about this game that's coming up than what Joe just promised you. Uh, they step away from that every time they build a high possession model and a, a, a game model that's a bit more attacking the moment they get to a must win game. And Columbus didn't do that. Columbus can't do that. Like they, They do not have the personnel to shut a game down and win. And I think it's promising that the team had that experience and that Nancy stuck to his guns because the only way they can beat Orlando in Orlando is to play that way. And now I believe that they know that and they'll go out and they'll try and play that way. And this is a really fun team to watch. And a lot of times high pressure takes away the joy of the game for players. And you didn't see that with Columbus. And so I think all of that bodes really well. The fact that Cucho didn't score himself and they scored four goals and still won goes to show you he's still playing the right way. Even in those big moments, it's not just it has to fall on my shoulders and I have to carry the team. And that's what's made Cucho so good this year is when Zellerion was there, he was the assist man. Then Zellerion left, he stepped in and scored more goals, but he's made, for the most part, the right runs to help his teammates and open things up. So I thought that was really positive as well. And then you get through a series where I think the biggest weakness for this Columbus team is aerial threats against their center backs and goalkeeper. Like, they struggle to deal with those moments. Yakumaki scored goals, but they were still able to win the series, and Duncan McGuire 
not the same resume as Yakumaki's, but a similar challenge in the next round, I feel a little bit more positive that this team can have that against them and still be able to get through. Uh, Joe, we didn't have Julian Gressel, Julian Gressel starting in this game. Uh, what was the situation there? Why didn't he play? So as far as I can gauge from the differences between Gressel and Mo Farsi on that right side, Nance wanted a little bit more direct running. He wants somebody that can bring a little bit more athleticism to that right wing back role. And in terms of the result, it absolutely worked, right? I think Farsi is a good player. I think he's a starting caliber player in this Nance system. I think he works very well in this in that right wing back role. It wasn't perfect, though, for Wil- from Wilfred Nance in terms of that decision. The second goal comes from Jean de Silva just absolutely dusting Mo Farsi at the back post. Farsi's late to recognize it. And if you put a guy into the lineup for his athletic ability relative to the other option, who is more skilled on the ball and certainly more of an impact player in the final third in terms of Julian Gressel, then you want the right wing back that you put in for athletic reasons to go out there and actually do that stuff. So I- I- it didn't end up biting Wilfred Nance. It did feel to me like a little bit of a galaxy brain trying to fix something that really wasn't super broken, even though Gressel's probably not been at his best in this series. I think everybody would agree that he is a player that you rely on and can rely on in moments like this as you move through the postseason. If there's any crack in Columbus's armor outside of some of the more macro, can we finish a game? Can we stop allowing goals in, in some of these moments? It's, I think the question is, like, who starts at that spot? And I'm not sure that really needed to be a question for Wilfred Nance. So that's something that I've got my eyes on. Uh, I have a question for both of you about Atlanta United. Uh, this potentially could be Tiago Almada's last game in Major League Soccer. Joe, it seems like you think it should be Brad Guzan's last game, at least for Atlanta yeah. United. Uh, what are the other changes you think they might make or should make uh, to be ready for next season, to start next season strong? I wouldn't be shocked if it was like a large amount of wholesale changes. You have to remember Garth Lagerwey came into a pretty set lineup. They made a bunch of moves in the summer. Some of them were short-term, like a Jean de Silva on loan, who I would be surprised if they didn't bring back. But I think the idea behind a lot of these additions was shorter contracts just to get through the rest of the season. There was no point of this year in which Luis Abram looked like a player at the level that they're paying for him as a starting center back. You add in the fact that Miles Robinson is a free agent. My assumption would be they upgrade at the center back position. My assumption is they'd upgrade in central midfield alongside Mayumba. I think Rosetto is one of the worst starting center mids in the league. And you'd hope you can get out of that contract. They don't, well, actually I do have it in front of me. You'd hope you'd be able to get out of that contract and not have to carry him going forward. They've done similar with Ibarra where they're trying to get out of his deal as well. Um, So there's a lot of big time players on that roster that probably won't be a part of the team next year. And then with Tiago Amada, Atlanta's, track record is they're going to try and find the next one. They're going to go to South America and they're going to try and spend big on the next, whether it's Tiago Almada or Miguel Almiron level player. Now, I think the positive is you've got a profile to fit it into. And inside that profile, you have now pieces around it that work. So what Saba, I think, did, especially in game three, I thought he was really good game two as well. In this postseason, what you saw from Silva, what you've seen from Yakumakis, there are a lot of finishers. There are a lot of guys who can create space for a number 10. So you're looking for a high usage, high level number 10 who wants the game to go through them. It's not the perfect thing to look for because a lot of teams want that. And normally those players are expensive, but at least it gives you a model to aim for where PT and Barco from Miguel Almiron were not the same player. And they basically brought in similar 
profiles as in their life, but not similar profiles as in soccer players as the club was changing and it all went wrong. Yeah. I, one of the biggest questions for me, I think the biggest question for Atlanta is what happens in the number 10 spot, because that position can influence games in a way that really no other position outside of goalkeeper can in MLS. And I do think Atlanta will move on from Brad Gozan. It seems like he's contemplating in a real way what his future looks like. The difference in in what Atlanta have done and what Seattle Sounders did under Garth Lagerwey is striking, right? Especially at that position and in other key attacking areas, going for young players where it's a bit more speculative or going for players in the profile that Garth Lagerwey talks a lot about of slightly older players, not you know in their 30s, but players that have had success in multiple leagues. Lagerwey talks about that all the time. A Nicolo Dero type. And the question for Atlanta is, what are they going to do? Because they need to find a player The other question in all this, though, is when they need to find that player. So is it going to be in the winter? Is it going to be in the summer? If I had to bet, and this is without knowing really anything about the situation, I would bet that it ends up being in the summer, which makes next season awkward. It makes it a little awkward for Atlanta United as they try to replace somebody on the fly. What I will say about Atlanta, though, is there's a lot to do. I think a lot of it is doable. A lot of the smaller things that Goss mentioned in midfield, some of the other pieces the attacking core is absolutely fantastic. If they can hold on to Yakamakis, they can hold on to Jean de Silva and Saba Lobajanitse. They're in a very good position if, and it's a big if, but if they go out there and find a number 10 and make some of those slightly smaller but still important changes deeper downfield, if that happens, and if there's anybody in MLS that can transition a team from one era to the next, it feels like it is Garth Lagerway. If that happens, Atlanta United are going to be scary good next year. Uh, well, Joe, you did have Columbus coming out of this one, so you got that point. Uh, Goss, you got a couple points, so congratulations on that. One of which was Houston advancing past RSL. They do so uh, in penalties. Did you Never get your specific doubt. prediction uh, when it came to the number? I think you said there'd be at least three penalty shootouts. Did we end up getting that? No, I said it specifically in the Orlando-Nashville series. All three uh, games would go to penalty shootouts, and they were 1-0 wins for Orlando. It was it was a good VSP. That was a good VSP. It was within the spirit of what VSPs are supposed to be, and I respect that. Said Joe, who got his right and beat me in the bracket thing. That's yeah. That uh, I also got mine right, so I hope what that makes you feel better too. Uh, mine was that New York would win. Uh, the Red Bulls would beat Charlotte by two or more goals. Not that big of a deal. Not that big of a. Uh, they a they did prediction. that in emphatic fashion. So <laughs> yes. I, I am inclined to give you real credit for that as well, Taylor. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Although they as, only won five two, right? <laughs> Oh, that uh, maybe that's true. I, I don't know why yeah. I remember that being like a thousand to zero. Well, so. because it felt like a blowout. Gotcha, gotcha. Houston RSL, not a blowout. Uh, we we had we had penalties. Uh, Goss, how are you feeling about y- your Houston side? Your number two pick uh, to make it out of their their uh, their their playoff tie. There it is. That's the word I was looking for. It followed a script that I think was pretty expectable throughout the series. Um, I kind of hoped that coming out of game one, that RSL spirit would be broken and that Houston would sort of put their foot down. <laughs> and that is not the nature of X-Dog. That is not the reality of RSL. And credit to that club, credit to that team that they sort of came back and fought through. Now, Houston was leading in, what, the 65th minute of yep. the second game? Like, they were they were on the way. They, they don't finish. They don't really score a ton of goals. And... That's going to be something that's tough in a playoff series that relies on those results. And they don't really have a player, a special player to create a moment out of nothing. They need to create 12 high-level chances to finish one. And that's pretty improbable on the road in the postseason. So I thought it fit. It followed a lot of the script that I expected. Um, Chicho Arango was 
probably the best player in the series when he was on the field, which is a bit of a knock on Ache Ache um, and some of the Houston players, Coco Karaskia as well. But in general, I think for Houston, it's a big moment to be able to have those two home playoff games, to put a show on for your fans, to get some big moments from an Ache Ache, to get some big moments from Steve Clark, some of the pieces in your team that, you know, you've sort of put this rebuild on and to continue to step forward, I think is massive. And I think, again, another team that stuck to their fundamentals and won this series. And I think that's a huge positive going forward of, okay, what does Houston versus SKC look like? Well, I think we know because Houston spent these three games sticking to what worked all season. Uh, Joe, you have in the notes, Houston continued to do their thing. Specifically, what thing were they doing? Their thing continues to be against teams that will let them have the ball taking the ball and controlling it and going into their 3-2-5 possession shape with Franco Escobar moving from left back to left center back in possession. You push Griffin Dorsey high up on the right side. Nelson Quinones holds the width on the left side and you play out of this, this really nice, consistent possession structure. The The thing for Houston, though, continues to be they don't really dominate these games. And, and that's kind of something that Goss got to a little bit there. This is obviously a very narrow series. I don't think RSL is a great matchup for them. But Houston, I've said this all throughout the playoffs, and I I don't intend it to be a knock on the Dynamo. They're just still a couple of transfer windows away. I think it's a little funny, right? You get the eight seed in the next round if you're the Houston Dynamo. I don't think it's a great matchup for the Dynamo at all. I think Sporting Kansas City, even with some of their injury issues right now, are the better team. And it's not a knock on the Dynamo. They're further ahead. They're further along in this rebuild process than I thought they would. I, I think than anybody thought they'd be at this point in the year. Go ahead, guys. But you just said you thought RSL was a bad matchup. Yeah. Right? Yeah. SKC is not the same matchup. It's a better. I think in some ways it's a better matchup. Right. I just still think Sporting Kansas City are that much better of a team than RSL that I'm not sure how much the matchup stuff actually matters. We're right? going to talk matchups. We're going to talk matchups here. Oh. Let's keep our powder dry, oh. shall okay. we? We're right. talking All about right. the games that happen. In fact, uh, let, let's keep it moving and we'll come back to that one. Unless, sure. Joe, you have more you want to say about Houston before I, we make that I just up. wanted to flip one thing to RSL and ask us a question about RSL, if that's all right. So it, it seems to it's me... It's not all I, right. I, I can't. Mm, yeah, I got bad news, Taylor. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of fell into this trap a little bit earlier in the season. I didn't like, you know, wax poetic about RSL for 2000 words, but I did wax poetic about them for, you know, about a thousand earlier in the year when they signed Chicho Rongo. Everybody seems really high on what this RSL team can do next year. And I'm not necessarily low on what they can do next year with the healthy Chicho Rongo, with Diego Luna underneath as a number 10, Pablo Ruiz back and healthy in midfield. But guys, I want to ask you, because I think you're in that category. What is the ceiling for this Real Salt Lake Lake team next year? How excited should their fans actually be after this year? I think there's a couple questions in there. I was not one of the people, by the way, who was super high on them in that spell this season. I thought it was sort of form where form lies. Now, in reality, they had this great run going into League's Cup. They were third in the West. They finished fifth. So, like, they didn't finish that far off from where they were in that great run of form. There were some people who thought they would win the West. I was never one of those people because I think there's a, I think there's a deficiency at center back. I think Pablo Ruiz was a massive loss, so they couldn't control games well enough to avoid the deficiency showing itself at center back. And then, obviously, Arango gets injured. I would say for next year, I would be positive because Chicho Arango looks completely bought in. And I talked about this on Extra Time yesterday. The way he goes to Diego Luna and embraces him and was a leader every time he came on the field, like he seems to feel loved from RSL and that's what he's been looking for. And the way he played in this series 
showed me a player more than what he was at LAFC, who you can almost play through at times. So you've got the best player on the field now in a lot of games, and that you can start the year with, and you can go through preseason with. And I think Diego Luna was better than anyone expected him to be and is a legitimate high-level consistent ch- yeah. chance creator. I, so, yeah, I agree. I agree on all that stuff. But where like that's not unique, I guess. Is sort of and I'm not I'm not saying well, that it's you're unique for saying ourself. it is. It's unique for RSL, but there are 12 other teams in Major League Soccer that have a good number 9 and a good number 10. A right, number 10 is better than Diego or, Luna. But that doesn't matter, right? The question is where do they fit in the context of Major League Soccer? They finished on points. 11th this year. It was a good season. I think overall this was a good year. I'm not saying that it wasn't a good season. I'm just curious for you, if things go well for them next year and they get a couple of the signings that they need, what is the ceiling for this team? Like what place? Put me somewhere in the Supporter Shield standings. Uh, I would say probably top six would be if things go right. Like six. Yeah. If they get everything right next year, that should probably be where they fall. Personally, I think they're always going to have a ceiling with Pablo Mascherani as coach. I don't think he has a game model in which he says, this is where we're going to go. And when we play that way, no one can beat us and we dominate the game. Everything is reactive to what other teams do. And I think there's a ceiling on teams like that. And I think that's what we've seen in Supporter Shield races in the past. But there are a lot of pieces there that make sense. That top end talent now exists. And if they get the rest of this offseason right, which is depth in central midfield, probably a starting center back, potentially moving Jefferson Sever potentially yeah. moving Jefferson Severino for another DP who fits better with Luna and Chicho Arango. I don't think there's any reason that they can't compete at the top of the Western Conference. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little lower, I think, overall on RSL, even than that, probably. I think about this level is sort of where I would expect them back again next year. Just think about how bad the West was this year. I, I think you can look at all the teams in the Western Conference and say they're one or two moves or even just a, an offseason reset away from being better than they were this year. But let me throw this in, though. RSL lost five of their first seven games. My hope would be if you have Chicho Arango through an offseason, you have stability, which they didn't have because not in a negative way. New ownership group. What do we look like? Pablo Mastroeni got the contract extension at the end of last year. My hope would be they don't start that poorly. So even if they have the low spells throughout the season, my hope would be it's a bit more consistent. And if you get your additions right and you bring a few more players up, through the academy where they have some really good talent that can help fill in the rest of the spots that you get better. And if you get better from fifth in the West, now we're talking about top three, right? Yep. Yeah. I I don't think I put them in that conversation. I think they look a lot like a lot of other MLS teams, some of whom did not make the playoffs this year in the Western conference, but a big (laughs) offseason and getting those moves right, I think would, would do a lot of good for this club. Joe is very, very skilled at, acknowledging your point while also sort of being like, but also I fundamentally disagree. Uh, so I look forward to seeing what happens with RSL in the offseason and to start next season. Uh, if they start uh, winning a couple games, I'm going to guess that will be a, a point in David David's favor. Uh, a point in Joe's favor was Seattle advancing past Dallas. Joe, you picked them as your number one team, the team you were most confident would get out of this one. Were you surprised that it went to three games? Um, I guess a little bit. I don't think Dallas had a good season. I was a little bit surprised at how strong they came out, Dallas, in their second game. But credit to them, right? They have this attacking talent. Goss, I love the fact that you've been shining a light on Paul Ariola not playing like a designated player in Major League Soccer. But it because it is so true. And in that game, he actually did. And that gave Dallas a huge boost. The thing that I, I sort of feel cheap about for this series and for this third game is... Dallas didn't have a chance. Not not really, right? Jesus Ferreira picked oh, up an injury coming up into the that game. You cursed Alan Velasco and Jesus Ferreira <laughs> with your pick. 
I'm willing to take the blame for that if that's what Dallas fans need to hear. Ferreira is not in, in this game. Alan Velasco has not been a difference maker, so I'm not really sure how much that matters anyway. But you know, Dallas also without Marco Farfan, they just didn't have a team that you think is really one that is going to go into Seattle and, and do something. And lo and behold, they did not. They had one shot in the entire game. Seattle get on the board in the first half. It's a fantastic ball from Jao Paulo, who reminded everybody in this game why he is still, even at 32, one of the absolute best central midfielders in Major League Soccer, can still go both ways at at 32. It's beyond impressive. He's a difference maker for them. Seattle didn't even really have to get out of first gear in these two home wins, and they still advanced. LAFC is going to be a much tougher test for them, obviously, but... I just kind of feel for Dallas at the end of the day because with all those injuries, I don't think they ever actually had a chance in game three. Do you feel like with that in mind, Joe, that we were able to learn things about this Seattle team aside from that Jao Paulo is still awesome? Uh, or was it sort of a they did what they needed to do against a team that didn't seem as likely to win, especially with those injuries? Yeah. Now comes the stiffer opposition. For me, it's the second thing, right? I mean, the same questions, Goss, what you and I talked about last week of you know, maybe it makes sense to put Ladero into the team. He was really good coming off the bench in Dallas. Spencer doesn't do that. And they still get away with the result. And I think that's fine. I think it's a defensible position from Brian Smetzer. But I, we didn't, nothing changed. Nothing changed. Dallas didn't test them in any way. And now Seattle just kind of keep going on and being the machine that they are. And now they're actually going to be tested. And it is a single elimination format from this point forward. The margins are basically gone for all of these teams so the exact same questions are there about this team and their strengths are pretty much there too. I think one of, to me, it was a question coming into the playoffs was like, would this team wake up and be dangerous? And that question to me is answered, which is like, if they're going to win MLS Cup this year, it's going to be grinding out results. It's going to be based on their defense, which that's their thing was always true for sure. But there was this possibility that things were going to open up a little bit more and that maybe they had been sleepwalking through the end of the regular season because their place was already pretty secure. They've been here before. They don't really care. It's almost borderline shocking when Seattle like cares for a whole season now. That's not their thing. But I think through this series, you saw a lot of those issues are deeper oh, than just soccer. Oh, yeah, a lot soccer. of these issues are deeper than just, oh, we weren't like trying at our best level. I think there's a bunch of issues, which is I like Atencio. Jao Paulo was awesome. Um, but with Rusnak in there as the 10 and that three as midfield, you don't have as much pure chance creation. I think Leo Chu is a player who's inconsistent. So when you go back into the past and say Rui Diaz scoring at his playoff form and Morris on the left and Roldan on the right, this is a great attack. Now you swap Morris up top, you bring Leo Chu in, you've taken a step back overall as a team. In saying that, they're still probably the best team top to bottom in the Western Conference. That didn't really shift from this series, but the idea that there are going to open up and be a whole different team for the postseason, I think that part's gone. Do you guys want to fight at all about what Dallas need to do in the offseason? Yes, actually, I would, I would actually really like to do that. So I'm just using this opportunity to get out all the questions that I have when I listen to Extra Time and disagree with you guys. So on, on the show you guys did yesterday, the topic of Dallas came up and what they need to do in the offseason. And I don't want to loop you in this time, guys, because maybe I shouldn't have done that on RSL. Do you think that Jesus Ferreira going forward for this Dallas team is going to be a nine or, or, or like, you know, has to be a second forward. Cause it seemed like that was the language that was coming from Tom and from Weeby that he has to be a second forward. And that the obvious move for Dallas is to go out and get an actual more traditional number nine. Uh, I think that he needs a high level talented attacking player next to him. And I don't care who it is. Okay. I think great. he can play as a nine and be fine if they bring in a winger or potentially a 10, but probably a winger who can score a bunch of goals like Diego Rossi. 
Or yeah. if they bring in a center forward, I think Jesus is fine coming off that. I would like Jesus Ferrer to touch the ball more. Yeah. I would like him to be more involved in the game. And I think part of that was wasted this year as a nine. But that can be solved by having a winger who stretches the field and having him come inside and play. All of that can be fixed inside your game model as long as some of the talent exists. Yeah. And none of the talent exists this year. And I thought a lot fell on like, oh, Jesus Ferrer isn't good enough. It's like, look around the league right. and name the DPs <laughs> who play at a DP level with only two on their roster. And the other one doesn't even play like a yeah. DP. Yeah, no, I 1,000% I agree with you. When people talk about, well, Jesus Ferreira has to be a second forward, it kind of boggles my mind. Like, are we pretending that Alan Polito hasn't been very good in Major League Soccer? Are we pretending that Bobby Firmino wasn't a thing? Like, these these players exist and are still out there playing at a high level, even within your league. If you put good attacking pieces around them, which Dallas have not, then they will thrive. And we've seen Jesus Ferreira thrive in bits and spurts. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. The other The other thing is, though, I also don't think he has to be a nine. I think he could be a second forward. I think he could be a number nine. It just depends, as you said, Goss, very well on who they put around him. And Nico Aceves has this rep of being a 4-3-3 a, a only coach. That's just straight up not true. Like he's played yeah. a 4-2-3-1 a bunch of I times. Know. He did it literally in this playoff series. Though I, I hear that and it doesn't make any sense to me. So go ahead and, and have him put Ferreira as the number 10. That's fine. Like that fits within what Nico Aceves has done. But it doesn't have to be that way. It could be a 4-3-3 with Ferreira as the nine and you go out and get an actual DP winger. Alan Velasco is not going to be a, a meaningful contributor to this team next year after the injury he suffered in game one. Like go out. You have flexibility if you're Dallas. You have a DP spot. You have other options. You could have more depending on what you decide to do with the players that exist. Jesus Ferreira is a player worth building around and he can do that at multiple different positions. All right, I want to build up the pressure on this question so that you feel strongly about answer. I take all of Taylor's savings, all of his 401k, his children's future college fund. You have to invest it in stock on one team in 2024 between RSL and FC Dallas. Joe, oh. this is a very expensive $36, so I right. hope you use it wisely. I'm, I'm going to put it all in a really, really good spot. I would lean towards... Real Salt Lake finishing higher up the table next year than FC Dallas. Interesting. That is okay. what I would say. I don't, I reserve the right to change that, by the way. And I, I don't, don't feel, feel the need to cash that. that in until the start of next season. It has to happen now before any offseason moves have occurred. Okay. Then, yeah, I'm going to say RSL because I do really like their their two most important attacking pieces in Chicho Arango and Diego Luna. And Dallas just have more work to do at this point. So. I'm I'm concerned. I don't know if I'm getting my thirty six dollars back or how much we're doubling that investment. But I guess I'll just have to wait and see. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to preview the conference semifinals back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are looking at the MLS Conference semifinals. We've got on November 25th, oh, a weird time, 11 days away, international break, hooray. We get the international break, then we're back with some playoffs, Orlando versus Columbus, uh, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Houston, Kansas City on November 26th, Seattle, LAFC on November 26th as well. Joe, since you won the inaugural bracket challenge, I'm going to give you first pick. Of these fixtures, which one are you most confident? Who are you most confident will get out uh, of this tie? This is this is really, really hard. I'll be honest. I'm not confident in any of these picks. I felt that coming. I thought about it for like 12 seconds yesterday. Realized that this is going to be impossible and stop thinking about it. All right. I am going to go with FC Cincinnati in this game. Uh, Both Cincinnati and the Philadelphia Union are banged up. That game will be on, on Saturday as well. A week from Saturday, I should say. Thanks, international break, as you already said. Cincinnati will be without Matt Miazga. Honestly, who knows at this point what's going on with Aaron Bupenza, who's now been dropped by Gabon for arriving late after already being in the place that they're playing. I don't understand what is going on with Aaron Bupenza. He's now been dropped by both Cincinnati and Gabon for being late in both places. He's a difference maker. Like, like this guy has been fantastic when he's been on the field. He was excellent against the Red Bulls in game two of that series that helped Cincinnati sweep them. And yet he can't seem to get on the field because he can't get out of his own way. So that's a huge question mark. Matt Miazga is a huge question mark. Center back's position in general is a big question mark. This is not great. You add Nobodo, easy for me to say. Good gracious. You add Obina Nobodo into this whole factor as well. And he's not been training. So Cincinnati are, are not in a good spot relative to how they finished the season. Philly, though, aren't in a good spot either. We've talked about Gleznes, Kai Wagner's being suspended because he said stuff that he absolutely shouldn't have said. There are still some fitness questions for the union. I think assuming that those things kind of roughly offset. And to be clear, I'm not sure that they do. But if we just sort of assume that they do, Cincinnati playing at home, have the best player on the field in Lucho Acosta, I'm giving them the edge. So you're going, you're saying they offset. If they didn't offset, which one do you think is a bigger loss between Miazga and Wagner? 
Uh, between Miazga and Wagner, Miazga. I yeah, I would say Miazga is a bigger loss, especially given that Philly are playing on the road. They're going to be more conservative anyway. They're not really going to miss as much of Kai Wagner on the overlap. I think Kai Wagner is the better player, and I'm not sure that's particularly close. I think he's more impactful. But the problem is that since you're also missing their second center back, and Ian Murphy was dreadful against the Red Bulls. And so I think that compounds the question at center back in a way that Philly maybe don't quite have to deal with at left back. I think the bigger question for Philly is Carranza because I think they can fill in with Harriel and Mbizo or whoever would end up being a right back for the role, at least for one game, especially as Joe mentioned on the road for the fullback positions. Um, I think they can win this game if it's low instead of Glessness. I don't feel great about that. But when you take Miazga out of the team and you look at Philly's strengths, it's the two forwards being able to cause chaos, being direct so you can keep numbers behind the ball as well. And I think Carranza, he's the best forward on this team, and he is the only one who is elite at both going into the channel and creating for the other forward and being the finisher when the other forward does that. Ura is pretty good at going into the channel and pulling back, struggles to finish. We haven't really seen much of Ty Baribo. Then you start to get pretty low down the list of options, or you potentially now move Gazdog into that position. So I think that's the biggest loss for Philly, and that's the one that I'm looking at when the lineups come out and over the course of the week, and then Noboto on the other side, right? If those two players, if one of them is out, I think that shifts things, and I that's where I lose confidence in this series of like, on paper, going into it, Cincinnati at home would probably be the biggest favorite of these four series that I'd feel most confident about. And with Miazga out, that has completely shifted. Um, Gus, how do you feel about being given Philadelphia then? Do you feel like, great. like this, this is an opportunity for an upset for you? Yeah, I feel great. I think you talk about battle-tested versus a team that's never had the pressure on them before. Struggled a little bit in the Open Cup semifinal with the pressure on them. Struggled a little bit in Leagues Cup with the pressure on them. And actually thought struggled at times against Red Bulls with the pressure on them. So now you bring in a Philly team that has not a lot to lose. Has also been in this situation with the long layoff into a big playoff game in the past. Because they've had buys. They've been here before. They have more depth than they've had in the past to cover for some of these things. If they don't have Kranz, it's again massive. But I still think with Miazga out and how it can affect the knockdown effect on FC Cincinnati of all of the away teams, I feel pretty good about this. Who else do you feel pretty good about, Gus, since no you one. get the next pick? <laughs> yeah, pretty much no one. Um, so, what, why Why is that? Hold on. Let's, 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 let's dig a little deeper. Why yeah. do you not? Is it because everyone's evenly matched or because maybe the quality isn't quite where you want it to be to feel like they're definitely getting out? No, I think everyone's pretty evenly matched across these three series. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the away teams are pretty comfortable being the away teams. I'm going to go with Houston. Okay, sticking with Houston. Yeah, and it's going to burn me, and that's fine. I accept that. Um, I'm going to go with Houston because I think, like I sort of pushed in when Joe was talking, I actually think this is a more comfortable matchup for them. SKC cannot close the game. So it will be open in a way that Houston likes. I think Houston, because of that, will also be in decent positions when SKC wins the ball back. And their rest defense, I think, is going to be fairly comfortable against Sporting Kansas City. I also do think Logan and Dembe is a massive loss for Sporting Kansas City. Those fullback positions are key for KC when they build out in possession. 
and they're key for Shallowy and Russell to find their spaces. And so I think losing Ndebe loses quality at that left back spot. I think it also has a knock-on effect on Shallowy's ability to come inside as often as he wants or get 1v1 situations. I think it also affects their ability to ping Griffin Dorsey back, who, as Joe talked about, is a massive part of going forward into the attack, has a ton of freedom in this Houston game model. Now, I think... KC probably has the second, third, and fourth best players in this series, which is a dangerous way to choose a playoff game. But I said it, so I'm already stuck with it. What I'll, what I'll say in your favor, Goss, is according to the, the bookmakers, that was the right pick. The Dynamo are favored more than any other team in this first round. Uh, excuse me, in this in this conference semifinal round. I obviously was too scared to make that pick number one overall, but I, I don't blame you for taking it at all. I feel like the home teams... I'm about to pick an away team. I feel like the home teams are, are probably where it's at here, and that logically is the right thing to do, and the Dynamo are, are big-time favorites. Two things. I 100% know who Joe's going to pick, but before we get to that, uh, Gus, can you clarify, what do you mean when you say that SKC can't, uh, can't close the game? Like, if SKC were to say, if Peter Vermees were to say, Houston's a high-possession team, uh-huh. but there are gaps when they lose the ball and they're not great at creating chances, we're just going to sit in. Okay. We're going to let them have the ball. SKC will lose that game because they cannot play that way. So it gives freedom to that Houston of being like able problem. to game plan because you know what you're going to get in the opposition. Plus, it fits their game model. Well, it's and, and to dig one layer deeper into that, there's a couple of reasons behind that. One is that Peter Vermees doesn't want to play that way, right? He wants to control the game. He wants to play expansive soccer. He wants to attack that way, but he also wants to defend that way, right? It's how the crew have scored a bunch of goals in the postseason. It's not from their beautiful possession play. It's from their positioning and their counterpressing, right? They go out there, they scored goals like this against Atlanta multiple times. SKC generally want to do the same stuff. Like that is their thing. They want to press in moments. They want to control the game and they want to counterpress. They don't want to sit deep in a block. So that's that's a big part of it. That's not unique to SKC. That's not unique to Major League Soccer. That's that's a big team possession team kind of thing. And SKC, historically speaking, have been that in MLS, even if they started this year very poorly. The other thing with SKC that really worries me, the biggest thing, that worries me as now the team that's stuck with them in the postseason, even though I feel pretty good about it, is that their center backs are not good. Like, and they're especially not good at defending. So they're okay ball players out of the back, Fontas and, and Rosero, who broke his nose, uh, but they, they should both be good to start in this game. Like, they're they're good at playing the ball out of the back, but defensively they are are slow. They're both over 30. It's, it's going to be a struggle. So how... SKC deal with the Dynamo in those transition moments where the Dynamo are attacking, trying to break forward out of a defensive block, which is going to be the pattern of this game for the most part. How SKC deal with those moments, especially now with a change along the back line, is the biggest question mark for them in this game. Well, just two more elements which are against me, which but I'm going to throw them out there. One, I think SKC is deeper when you talk about 120 minutes now rather than 90. And oh, while he, I forgot he did about make, that. That yeah. sucks. Sorry, continue. While he did make two saves. Wait, wait, explain that, please. Why is Joe mad? I don't know. Because we're getting extra time, and extra time is bad soccer. Ah, and that's, okay, that's, okay. Why that's what I assume. Got cool, it. cool, cool. Um, the other thing is Steve Clark is not a plus on penalty shootouts, and Timulia is the biggest plus in MLS history. Let's go. And in a game where I think it could go to a shootout, that's a little bit against me. I feel great now. Thank you, guys. Seven for seven, I believe, is Tim Melia. I did have a question about that, but Goss has preempted it. Thank you for that, Goss. Uh, Joe. That's why I put it in the rundown. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally there. Uh, Joe. <laughs> you have to it in white, my friend. That is, that is yeah. That was a white font. <laughs> um, Joe, I really liked the backfield piece you all had about Houston and how they've turned it around so quickly. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was how they prioritized 
bringing in veterans who like know how to win in Major League Soccer, basically, who have proven they can win, either have won MLS Cups or just have a ton of experience. Who do you feel like they will need to stand out the most if they want to keep this going? Who can they sort of look to in moments where things are uncertain? If they go one nil down or if they're not playing particularly well, who are the veterans you think can sort of pull them out, can be those leaders that uh, stand out in a positive way? There's two, one an MLS veteran and one just sort of a soccer veteran. The, the obvious one that doesn't really fit that category but got his own section in that piece, as, as he should, is Hector Herrera, somebody that is very clearly bought in and is the absolute leader of this team. No doubt there. The, the MLS veteran, though, that came in you know a couple of seasons ago now for Houston but is has been a big part of this is Steve Clark in goal. And we mentioned the shootouts. He could have an outsized impact on this game even more so than goalkeepers usually have an impact on a regular season game or a first round game or whatever it is. Like this is this is a big opportunity for Steve Clark. I think Franco Escobar is also in that category. There's a couple of others that sort of fit that veteran bill. Artur. Yeah, Artur as well, absolutely. But if you're talking about the players that can have the biggest impact who are also veterans, it, it's those two for me. Let me just throw out there, in case you're a fan of a different MLS team, we're going into the offseason. We've talked about it a couple times. That is a winning model in Major League Soccer, not just for Houston. Like a lot of teams figure out that the thing they need is a couple MLS veterans who have been there. And it's a lot of players sometimes that you don't love watching. But in big games, they're on the field and those teams tend to win. And just that's sort of one of those things that gets swept under the rug sometimes. To add to that, though, sign good MLS players. Like, don't sign Ooh, don't sign bad ones. Interesting. Like, I hear that a lot, and that actually really bothers me, Goss, is you know, just saying, go sign MLS players with MLS experience. No, don't do that. Go sign good MLS players that have MLS experience. We can't measure. It, it is intangible. Whatever value this sort of ethereal MLS experience has, it seems to be there because a lot of teams that do well in MLS have players that have been around for a while. I don't know if that's because they've been around in MLS for a while. I I guess I'm a little hesitant to buy into some of that, but it seems to be true. That seems to be a real phenomenon in Major League Soccer that was talked about a bunch last year with LAFC. They go out and get Ilya. They go out and get a bunch of other guys that have MLS experience and they do very, very well. Ryan the difference Hollingshead, is, Franco Escobar, the difference is those are Kelly good players. Ilya is yeah. a good player. Ryan Hollingshead is a good player. You go and look at Aaron Long, yeah, he's MLS experience. Has he been good for LAFC? Not, not really. Has he been a difference maker for them? Not, not really. You go and look at the Dynamo, you can do the same thing. Corey Barrett is a, a MLS experienced player. Yes, he's the starting striker for this team. Is he somebody that the Dynamo are going to look to upgrade on first thing in the offseason? Absolutely. Is he one of the things holding this team back? Absolutely. So but it's not just MLS, it's not just MLS experience. It's going out there and getting good players, ideally yeah. with some relevance and experience inside of Major League Soccer. I'm never going to disagree with good soccer players are better than bad soccer players. Thank you. That is, that is my argument. But, but. Corey, but Corey Baird pushed a designated player in Sebas Ferreira. Well, that's because you're out of the that, team. That's not a good argument, league. though. That's not no, a good but argument. The, but in this the whole argument process. is. Why so the argument a, is, and, and it depends on who you're arguing further. with. The argument is when I talk to a GM and they're excited about Juan David Mascara and not Franco Escobar, and I get the idea behind right. that, but the reality is different, which is the hit rate on players that you've seen succeed in Major League Soccer is higher. Yes. As well sure. as it is a necessary element in your team. Totally. And so the pure excitement over played in Argentine League, played in Ukraine, played in Champions League, whatever – and then say that team's going to be good. And then there's like not a ton of track or there's not a ton of evidence there that that's actually true. I, I agree with everything you said after the Sebastian Ferreira thing. Just because you force out an underperforming DP doesn't mean that like all of a sudden you're the golden boy. Right. That That's just yeah. that's incoherent. Right. That, that doesn't make sense. And for this Dynamo team, Corey Baird has been a, a contributor for them, but he's not like the answer at the number nine spot. So all I'm pushing back against is just that 
going out and signing MLS veterans is this secret sauce without any qualifiers that go on top of that. But I would also completely agree with you. Don't just go out and sign foreign players because it's going to get people excited. Like you need to do the due diligence on that front as well. And it seems like Houston are doing more and more of that with source football. They bring in as the analytics consultants. They're making moves that I, I think are largely very strong, even if their hit rate's not as high as some other clubs in MLS. Let me throw one offseason thing out there, which I talked about yesterday, but I don't think it was on the show. Um, Chicharito to the Houston Dynamo on like a short term deal. A goal finishing, first of all, sell out that stadium. Sure. That'd be fine. Right? Him yeah. and Ache Ache is like, we should sell out this building. Why don't we? Well, here's your answer. <laughs> Two guys who have played together for a while that know each other. It sounds like Chicharito would like to play in Major League Soccer if possible. I, I would assume Houston, massive city, a good place to live. That would probably be on his list. And you would hope you could get a contract in which it's a one or two year deal that fits in Ache Ache's timeline. Yeah, um, but it, it could be fun. It w- I a thousand percent agree with with Chicharito. I think he would be a useful contributor as the second striker, not like tactically, but the second striker on the depth chart behind the first choice striker. I think he would be a useful piece for half or more teams in Major League Soccer. The big question for all this is just what's the contract, right? Are you having to give him a bunch of money that you probably should spend elsewhere or can you get him on a, a team friendly deal? That's not unfair to the player, but can you get him on a decent deal where he fits comfortably as that number two striker that's paid more than most other number two strikers across MLS, but it's still, you know, not breaking the bank for you. I'm sort of sad that Andres Guardado is 37 years old. I'd like to throw him into that mix too. Let's get Chicharito, Ache Ache, and, and, uh, you could probably still run. Yeah. I mean, he's still playing. He's he's playing for Rabatiste. So let's get him in there and see how good things can be. Uh, Joe, since we've talked about that game, do you want to go ahead and pick Columbus now? Yeah, I'll go ahead and pick Columbus next year. Cool. Absolutely, absolutely right. <laughs> I have no idea if this is a good idea or not. Like, I'm just too scared, ultimately, to choose between Seattle and LAFC. We had a stalemate there in Seattle earlier in the year. It was a bad game. LAFC went without a true number nine in their front line. I'm fascinated to find out if they're going to do that again. I have no idea. I would probably lean towards playing with an actual nine to bring others into the game. But I'm too scared to pick between those two teams. And I'm pretty scared to pick between these two teams as well. Just less scared. I think Columbus on quality are significantly better than Orlando City. But Orlando playing at home, they've had a lot of success. They grinded their way through the first round. I, I don't love the idea of betting against them. Like, I don't think there's a lot of good bets if you're actually trying to place money on these games. I don't think there's a lot of that in the first round, but I, I am still going Columbus. I have, I have a question about a bet. Uh, Joe, tell me where you are comfortable putting the over-under for this one for goal scored, total goal scored. If uh, it were two and a half, I'm assuming you're taking the over? I would take the over on two and a half. I'm probably not going any further than that, even though I cited five and a half as, as previous. Yeah. I just think there will be goals because there are goals in every game that Columbus plays. But guys, I think you raised this point, right? Orlando are going to try and muck things up and they're pretty good at doing that stuff. I just think as the game goes on, teams are going to get more desperate and that's going to play into more attacking play as well. Goss, would you go three and a half or are you? No, with Joe, I think two and, two and a half was half. the right line of like, this is a... This was a 4-3 game in September, but it's the playoffs. So you take away goals, then you add in Orlando changing the way they play, and then you add in the fact that Columbus on the road in a playoff game, I think they're going to struggle a little bit more to force the game the way they want it. And also, you'd hope they've learned lessons from the 4-3. But they did have the, the bulk of possession in that game. So in that game, in Orlando, on the road, they, they got out to a lead that they weren't able to hold. 
and they did get more possession, they did play their style. So I would expect all of that to happen. Again, going back to the original thing of like, I think Columbus will win. I like Columbus in this matchup, but I won't be surprised when Orlando does. Yep. I think yep. this, similar to what we said about Houston and RSL, I actually think this is a cleaner matchup for Orlando than Nashville was because Orlando's in playoff Pareja mode. Why are you both hesitant on Orlando? Neither one of you wanted to take them the first time. Goss, I think you ended up taking them begrudgingly. No, you went no, Nashville. I you went Nashville, Nashville with yeah, your fourth pick. So neither one of you really wanted to touch Nashville, Orlando. What is it about Orlando that has you both uncertain? There's a few things. So one is what happened in that playoff series was what I thought would happen, which is Orlando, top half scoring team, won two games. One was pressing the other team into a mistake in the sixth minute that they sat on. The other was a 35-yard stunner from a defensive midfielder who doesn't score goals. Like they, So I knew they would move to that style of game. And then the other thing is they are built on young young attacking players. Historically, it's really tough in the playoffs. And so you add in the fact that you've got Afaku Torres and potentially Ojeda coming off the bench and even Duncan McGuire. Like, these are guys who haven't really been there before. It's really hard to create chances in playoff games when every single action is intense and teams are game planning for you, especially as you go through a series. Um, so I worried about all of that for Orlando but they do have a good defensive base. They've been together, some of that group, for a little while. So there's a ton of quality there. There's a reason they were the second-place team in the East. I just don't really believe that they're going to affect the game the way they want to. Yeah. Or they're at least going to dictate the game in a positive way that's going to help them win. Yeah, I, I don't know that a lot of it's about tactics for me in this particular matchup or for Orlando. I think the way they planned Oscar Pereja is mostly fine. I just have the sinking feeling that the goal's are going to dry up or, or that they already have dried up. To be honest with you, they didn't light Nashville on fire. They get a banger from Cartagena in the first game and they get a fluke goal off of a Dax McCarty turnover that takes a massive deflection and chips the keeper from like eight yards from Ivan Angulo in the second. So I just, I don't know that this is a, a really dangerous attacking team. And eventually you got to score a goal and maybe not, I suppose in the playoffs when you can put the ball in the back of the net via a shootout, but I don't think their defense is, is quite that strong. So I just think this Orlando City team has some real problems and Duncan McGuire can't tape over the cracks forever. And I think we're probably seeing those cracks start to show themselves in the postseason. So let's say we have a nervous Columbus listener who's feeling anxious about this fixture. Do you, you, you want to hype them up? Do you want to give them... Re- no, you're going the other way. I want you oh, bad. to give us reason to be excited for Columbus supporters. You, you should be nervous. But reasons to be excited. <laughs> this this crew team is the best attack in MLS. Cucho is is maybe in better form than any... Uh, I guess Cucho and Buwanga. And, and that's probably the top two right now. Based off of form and, and quality, Lucho Acosta is absolutely still around that conversation. But... Like these two guys are elite goal scorers and Cucho has been absolutely fantastic. No one can stop your attack for 90 minutes or 120 minutes. It's just not going to happen. The ball is going to be in the back of Pedro Gaia's net. The question is how many times, how many awkward situations can you put him in? How many awkward situations can you put Orlando City in? That stuff should make you feel good. The other thing should make you feel good coming into this game is how good, and I mentioned this earlier, the Cruz counterpressing has been. They have been absolutely lethal. And so if you look at Orlando City's attack as a as a potential struggle area for Oscar Pereja, and you should, if you look at that attack and say, wow, we haven't been super goal dangerous or at least reliably goal dangerous out of Duncan McGuire's heaters for most of this season, Facundo Torres still isn't that guy and we don't know if he's ever going to be, Like, then you should feel pretty good about pinning this Orlando team back 
And even if they break through a couple of times, and they will, you should feel pretty good about them not doing a whole lot in the attack. To be clear, I don't know if I believe all of this, but this is the argument in favor of Columbus. I think overall, there are lots of reasons that this could go in the crew's favor. The problem is one game sample size, single elimination, chaos, postseason, away from home. There's just a bunch of things that can sway you back the other way. Let me ask you this, Joe. If Christian Ramirez is fully healthy and you have three attacking spots and those four options, so it's Alex Matan, Diego Rossi, Cucho, and Christian Ramirez. Right. I assume Rossi and Cucho are starting. Yes. Who is the third for you in this matchup? I, I'd probably just let it ride. I'd probably just go back to Matan. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't care a whole lot. I don't have a strong feeling about it. It might be that the game starts and you realize, wow, Columbus really needed a nine to create some space to push the defense back. And it, they would have been better with Cucho in the half spaces full time. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. I, I like the idea of Columbus going out there and having as many playmakers on the field as they can and trying to break through this team. They've had success with Cucho still being able to be a focal point for them while having others that revolve around him. I would keep that the same and go out there and say to Matan and Rossi and, and Cucho, hey, it's on you guys to interchange and to break this Orlando team down. We we know you can do it. You've done it to everybody and MLS this year. And if you need to, then you can go to Christian Ramirez in the 60th minute or so. Yeah, I don't think either option is bad. I think all the points you made are good. I do think right now you have Schlegel in there who is overly aggressive and gets stuck into matchups. And Janssen, who I don't think moves that well when guys are coming after at him when there's space. And so if you do start Ramirez, you sort of occupy both those center backs. And now Cucho can find the game wherever he wants it. And I think there's opportunity there. But like Joe said, if you have those three in Matan and the other two, there's a lot of interchange. And that's a lot of conversation and question marks and decision making that you force Orlando into. All right. Our final game. Both of you stayed away. Goss, you get to choose. Is it going to be Seattle or LAFC? I'm going to go with Seattle. I think home field is massive in a conversation like this where it feels like it's 50-50 between the two teams. Um, And, you know, I can give you the list of why LAFC. But I think for Seattle, you talk about the defensive strength for them. You talk about the fact that they'll have a lot of the ball at home, which has been good and bad. But I'd rather have the ball than not in a playoff game in which any mistake in your defensive third leads to a chance for the other team. Um, we've had the Nico Lodero conversation a bunch. The fact that that's even a conversation, the fact that Seattle goes 12, 13 deep with players that you trust in a playoff game, potentially Reed Baker Whiting comes back for this game as well, who I think has been really good for them at left back, if that's what they choose to do. Um, there's a lot to like about this Seattle team. There's a lot of history there, which I think, is good for Seattle. Like there's a lot of confidence in a moment like this. I think the atmosphere will be fantastic as well. Jordan Morris scoring in back-to-back games in the previous series bodes really well, whether he plays on the left or at center forward, it doesn't really matter. Um, There's a lot of players on Seattle that if my back's against the wall and I have to, I'm going to choose them in Jao Paulo, Christian Roldan, Yaimar, guys like that. And so I think it's enough for this Seattle team, as long as they sort of know who they are, and can figure out where they're going to take risks and where they're going to leave themselves exposed. Yep. If this game's in Seattle, I would have picked Seattle. If this game's in LA, probably would have picked LA. I think it's kind of that simple. I could see this one going either way. LAFC, the biggest thing that encourages me is that they do have the best player on the field. And Dennis Buongo, who's been fantastic on the left side for Steve Chirundolo. There are big tactical questions for Chirundolo, who changed his approach 
from game one to game two against Vancouver, at least in terms of the personnel and how that influences how this LAFC team plays. Does he stick with what happened in game two and go with Acosta and go with a, a, a nine? Or do you change back and, and kind of go for it a little bit more? If I had to bet, I'd bet more on the second. But we'll see. Boanga is going to have to carry some of the load because that's just Chirondolo's thing. He doesn't have super detailed attacking tactics. And that's not unique in MLS. That's most coaches in this league. But if Buanga's sharp and LAFC's defensive structure is sound, they've got a really good shot. Joe, I think you may have just said it. But uh, when Goss picked Seattle, were you sort of like, oh, I wanted Seattle? Like, Did, <sighs> did it become clear to you in that moment or were you OK with LAFC? Yeah. I'm still I'm still totally okay with it. I think that's the theme for all of these matchups. And if there's something that's going to excite listeners about this next round is that there is so little separating all of these teams. Like these are, say whatever you want about the format for the first round. And I don't really care to talk about that anymore at this point, but it got us really good games in this round. And whether that's because of the format or just because of how things played out, doesn't matter. We have really, really good games, closely contested games, fun stylistic matchups, all this stuff. It's really tight. If you had said pick one of these teams, yeah, I, I would go for Seattle, but I think it's telling that they were last off the board. All right. So those are your conference semifinals previewed and selected. Goss, do you feel like this is your your revenge series? Are you, are you going to pull it out? Not really. <laughs> Honestly, by the end, I talked myself into Seattle more than Houston. But uh, no, I think as Joe said, great series means it's a 50-50 split. Historically, an MLS home teams win, but... Single elimination is a train wreck. And quite honestly, I think you started with this. Anything I root for loses. So I apologize to all of my teams. How are we going to do a tiebreaker, right? Because there's four games and there's a very good chance that it ends up being split two to two. Are we doing like number of shootouts? Do we want to do some other obscure tiebreaker? Like, you know, who scores the first goal and the first? I don't know. What what do we want to do here, guys? I think any team that gets a red card should get a bonus point, and any team that has a red card gets the win. But does that fit into your teams? I'm trying to think if that actually helps you or not. No. I'm trying to go back and look at my notes from when you all were were going back and forth. Like, is there one point that you all feel like you disagree on? Who should start? Who could be critical? Like, is there a mm. thing that we can then make that uh, the tiebreaker? It's a good. It's a good question. I don't. I don't really think so. I think we're both pretty much aligned on all that stuff. I think we should do, gosh, how many of these games do you think are going to penalties? You pick a number and I'll just pick a different number. And whoever's sure. closest, okay. I'll say one. There we go. And if it's if it's one, I'll get it. If it's two, you'll get it. And if it's you neither of those, we'll figure right. it out. Yeah, but Price is Right really helps me out, I think, rather than helping yeah, you out because sure. I'm lower. But um, I don't My know. I'll take two carry. None of them will go to shootouts, Fine. but I'm actually, now I think I'm going to win all four. So I don't Great. even care about this. Problem this was solved. a wasteful conversation. I right, think so it was. If it, goes, if it goes to shootouts, Joe has one, Goss has two. Yep, or and if more. it's not, if it's okay. not those, okay, yeah, I'll t- fine. I'll take zero and one, and Goss can take two and yeah. three and four. I get, I'm, I'm fine with that. And things did get a little spicy today, so to keep that going, Goss, uh, are you pro or con when it comes to fizzy water? Uh, con. Oh, that didn't uh, go the Taylor, way. I have bad news for the sake yeah. of of what you know of me, but good news yeah. for the sake of antagonism. I'm actually now pro fizzy water. Yes, That's changed very Joe. recently. Yeah, so, fizzy water Joe. means seltzer or sparkling water. Just no. some sort of yeah, some sort of yeah. Ideally, slightly flavorless. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. I think it is an absurd thing now. Obviously, as a New York Jew, I grew up with a lot of seltzer, and I bought one of the thingies for my wife because it is mind blowing that you can buy a bunch of cans of water and crush through them in a day. 
Like you are actively going and being like, oh, water. Let me make that more expensive. Yeah, yeah. And then consume a bunch a of thousand, it. I one thousand percent agree with all of that, Goss. I didn't try to be this way. People just sort of kept handing me fizzy waters over time, and yes, I eventually yeah. just succumbed. And so now yes, I'm not yeah. going to go out there and buy them. Like I'm not going to spend extra money on water. That They're is just a little absurd to me. <laughs> but if I'm over somewhere and someone hands me one or is like, hey, do you want one? I, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I feel like I betrayed my values. I also think my, my all values, the flavors but. are bad. Like, they don't taste like the things they say, and they taste chemical. Well, when you roll, like, a lemon by the can of water and call that flavored, which is basically what they all are, then I, I kind of get where you're coming. I will say, I like slander, them more now. I, I do like them more now than I used to. I used yeah, to be, just like, happens. hard no. Now I'm, like, every once in a while, I get the point. Yeah. Tell me you haven't had Weg- Wegmans mango lime or Wegmans orange pineapple without telling me you haven't had I have that. That's what I, I would say to you. I would like to try those, but I have You guys had. don't have Wegmans out there, do you, Joe? I've never heard of Wegmans in my entire life. Wegmans. Wow. Okay. I went, is that not what you just said? Wegmans? Wegmans. I'm not I went on a like trip to Toronto in college and we stopped through Buffalo and everyone was like, oh, what's your plans? You're here for the weekend. Yeah. We're at a friend who's from Buffalo's house for a birthday party. And I was like, any advice? And they started with Wegmans. Go to Wegmans. They wow. started. <laughs> is it like a grocery store? Yeah, yeah. it's a grocery There's store. There's no grocery store worth starting an exactly. itinerary with. Exactly. That is absurd. Which is a knock on Buffalo and means people are ridiculous. Boom City roasted. of love, though. Buffalo of Bill's Mafia. I Boom mean, roasted. if you want to get good prices on the Bat Blue and Blue Light, uh, then that, that's Blue. the place to go, baby. Uh, <laughs> and then the other one to, to stoke some friction. Uh, guys, how are we feeling about Buffalo sauce? Love it. Thank you. No, Put it's, it, on uh, anything. it is Love maybe it. the worst sauce that's ever been manufactured what? by mankind. Do you go. like vinegar? Here we go. Uh, in in accompaniment, <laughs> ideally with other more Asian based sauces, I think buffalo sauce is is genuinely a terrible food. Oh my god, I crave buffalo wings. At a boy, every boy, week, gosh. and then Get I em. eat them, Get and em. then I'm like craving them again. Mm, super salty and gross yeah. sauce, delicious. Yeah. With a little no. bit of spice and yeah. good vinegar hit. Oh, my God. That's it's like dream. spicy for the sake of being spicy and salty for the sake of being salty. Like, that's the best way I can describe buffalo sauce. Spiciness is good. Saltiness is good. Those are key components to, to food and how they make our mouths feel. I'm looking for them in other areas outside of buffalo sauce. I'm sorry. You're not going to make our squad. Our squad I don't know that I've ever met anyone who is anti-buffalo sauce. I've met S- people who don't like wings. Anti. But not anti. Well, that's ridiculous. Stuff. But yeah, I'm, he's, he's from the desert, David. Yeah. There's, there's no reasoning with him. <laughs> I, can't do I mean, it, I get it. It's not comfortable it. to eat a plate of hot wings when it's 112 degrees in December. Yeah. Salsa. I'll take spicy salsa over buffalo sauce any day of the week. My final question was going to be having actual seasons because I'm going to guess Goss is in favor of that and isn't familiar. As, as am I. I am in favor, but unfamiliar. Yes. There we go. But I'm glad <laughs> that we can end on uh, Goss getting a win by being pro Buffalo sauce and Joe getting a loss Congrats, there. So I guess. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens in the playoffs themselves. But for now, gentlemen, thank you for taking all of the time to talk about uh, these MLS playoffs as well as a little U.S. men's national team chat. Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. This was fun. And David Goss, Buffalo Sauce champion extraordinaire. Stop. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the the hand flourish as you award. say goodbye. Well done, sir. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 